Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy. And I'm here in a virtual room, thanks to Zoom, with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder, and also Benjamin Schwartz, who's the producer for this show. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit think tank and action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and to encourage business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on June 20, 2020. And Ronaldo, I know we wanted to start off talking a little bit about some of the things we want to ask for from our listeners. So why don't you go ahead and make that, yeah, I mean, start that conversation. Hi, everybody. Welcome. Yeah, so we got a gr- another great show as usual. And we're going to be talking about, you know, how to protect yourself in the markets. So we're going to talk about the insanity of William Barr trying to fire Jeffrey Berman. We're going to talk about tribal justice and how it can be achieved and how it's been denied. And we're going to talk about um, Lebanon and China and India and a lot of the good stuff. And I have already written back Diane an extensive letter on her question about um, what should we do for 60s people. Um, before I get into all that, though, we've now been doing this show for a little over 10 years. Originally it was a monthly show, now weekly. And I'm sure you all can appreciate it. It takes a lot of work to put this show together. And I couldn't be more proud of uh, what Christy puts into it and, you know, and, and what Benjamin puts into it. We all are working overtime to get this done to you with high quality. But we're not hearing from you enough. And with the situation in the, in the world right now, with uh, uh, nonprofits like the Academy uh, seeing that their contribution levels have plummeted, um, we have to look at every single thing we do and say, okay, how how is it sustainable? You know, we're big on sustainability thinking at the Academy. And what we're going to have to do is look at the formula we've got is to make this show valuable, valuable and self-sustaining at the same time. And so for me, the question really becomes, we need to, we need to look at a, a dialogue with you all. Whoever's listening to this, I want you to write us and tell us you heard this message. It'll only take you 15 seconds. Write to info at worldbusiness.org. Why? Because we're going to send out a survey. We want to start figuring out how can we service you. The reason this show was begun 10 years or more ago is because I really wanted, as a commitment of the Academy, to help what I call the little people. Those of us out there, those of you who who have $100,000 or less to your name, including your home equity, uh, who, who, who who are one paycheck away from disaster or, frankly, uh, one divorce or one serious illness away from personal bankruptcy. And I wanted to do something that would help you understand these broader issues and how they're impacting you. Uh, we've been teaching financial literacy, and so you can understand what these things mean when you read them, so you won't get sucked into day trading at a time when Wall Street knows they're trying to suck you into day trading. Okay, So I, I don't want to see a replication of what happened in the 20s when people, the little people, quote-unquote, got into the market and got creamed, because that's what's coming. So what I want you to do because I want you to send us an email just to identify that you're listening and that you will be one of the people we can survey. We're going to throw out lots of different ideas about how we can use this time to be optimally effective for you, the listener, 
and at the same time be supportive of the academy, which needs to find some way to um, make this relevant and uh, self-sustaining. So I urge you, please write. We go to a lot of trouble to do what we're doing for you. You can take really less than 30 seconds just to send us an email that says info at worldbusiness.org. Put me on the list. And we will. We will start surveying you, and you will help us in a dialogue, which we call in the Academy the central way of moving anything forward. In a dialogue, you'll tell us what works and what matters. We'll tell you what we can do and what matters. And between us, we'll come up with a better solution for everyone. So thank you for listening to this message, because it's really important about what we do. And I just want to add, so if we, if we can get just a single line, yeah, I'm listening, I can take a survey, that would be wonderful. If you have a specific idea for us, we're happy to entertain those as well. Um, so we just love hearing from our listeners, from John, from Steve, from Diane, from anybody who writes in. I appreciate it every single week. So thank you very much for listening to um, this. And, and, and take this as an opportunity. Uh, dialogue is the process we use in the academy to move the ball forward in any subject. We want to be in a dialogue with you. We don't need to do this for our own ego gratification. We're doing this show because we'd like to be of value to you. And we think the best way to find out how to make it valuable to you and to us and sustainable is for us to get into a dialogue. And that starts with you telling us you're there and you're willing to talk. So thanks very much. And let's go to the show. So, you know, one of the reasons why I love the show, I love pointing out the fact that in those people who listened to us in 2007, 2008, for example, when I did the call to sell your stocks in the market and I called the month of October as the month that would crash on Deepak Chopra's show, and a bunch of you listened to it, Ariel, you know who you are, and others, and you did. You sold your stocks and you saved 25 to 30% of your portfolio. And I told you people listening to this show last October of uh, 2018, and I said, sell your stocks and buy gold. If you had have done that in the same period of time when the Dow has now gone down about 3% over that period of time, gold has gone up by, 45, by uh, 41%. So what you really have is an opportunity to have made a 45% profit. That's almost half your nest egg. If you just would have been listening to the show and did what we said. And by the way, we keep telling you every week it's not too late to buy gold because unfortunately it's not. In fact, I, I've said many times in this program, I think gold's going to go, I don't see anything that keeps from going past 2000. I'm actually looking at a bigger number now in 2000. And the reason is the way we've been debasing the U.S. dollar is going to catch up with us. The way we are absolutely being crazy about the pandemic and, and totally abstaining from the responsibility to do something meaningful with uh, the coronavirus, uh, the way we are shooting ourselves in the foot repeatedly with the way we're handling the reopening, all of those things together makes me believe that we are in a situation where we cannot possibly continue on this path. So, of course, gold will go up as people flee from conventional currencies. And uh, we'll talk some more in future shows about conventional currencies. And we'll talk about China's desire to, to basically start blockchain currencies. We'll talk about Europe's desire to start blockchain currencies. And we'll give you some other things to watch. But before we do that, let's talk about some things that happened this week in addition to the markets. Because the markets are in incredibly crazy shape. <laughs> the exaggerated exuberance doesn't even, doesn't even qualify at this point. It's way past that. <laughs> it's, it's no longer irrational solely. It's really freaking insane. Okay, so let me start with a happy note. I am really proud of Jeffrey Berman, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern, Southern District of New York. Why? Because when William Barr tried to fire him, 
in his continuing campaign to enable the president. And I do believe that William Barr should stand trial when this administration is over, along with Trump, in the dock, along with Stephen Miller and some others. And he should be held accountable for crimes against humanity the way we did it in Nuremberg in 1946. It's that serious, folks. They know they're killing people, but they don't care because they know the people who are dying disproportionately are black. Let's all call it for what it is. It's genocide, and it's racially driven. Okay, now, um, the good news is Berman said, no, I'm not stepping down because I wasn't appointed by the Justice Department. I was appointed by a three-judge panel because they couldn't get somebody to take the job on a full-time basis for the Senate. And what Berman said is, I'm not resigning, and I won't step down until someone's appointed to take my place who has been confirmed by the United States Senate. Well, let's see what Mitch McConnell and the boys do come Monday. My guess is they'll try to rush something through. My guess is that most Republicans will rubber stamp it. But if even one or two Republicans say, you know what, firing Jeffrey Berman, a Republican, because he's trying to uncover the corruption of the Trump administration, was, is even worse than failing to impeach the president for his own corruption. So I think it's time for us to applaud Jeffrey Berman. He's going to go down in history as a brave man. He's going to go down in history as somebody who stood up finally to this criminal presidency. And I say that with all due respect to how serious a word criminal is. I also want to say um, it's good news. We call it tribal justice. The Treasury Department has been sitting on $679 million, which was supposed to go to, uh, as part of the CARES Act, to the various Indian Native American tribes. And the reason they were doing, they gave, was because they were, didn't know if they were going to lose a case for $7.65 million. As Judge Mehta recently found, if the Treasury Department is withholding $679 million because it might lose a case for $7.6 million, that's absurd on its face. And it is. So of the $4.8 billion or more that's already been distributed, that as nothing has gone to the Native Americans, when the highest level of death from COVID percentage cap population is Navajo, it's Native American. So of course they need the money, just like small black businesses need the money, but they're not getting it. And Mnuchin's taken the position that he doesn't even have to reveal who he gave $500 billion to, which are probably his friends and on what terms. That's totally illegal. And I'm pleased that a conservative like George Will would have said so on public television last night. The other thing about Mnuchin finally deciding that that $500 billion isn't like he doesn't have to disclose anything is the entire CARES Act was held up by the Democrats because they wanted they put in provisions that that had to be disclosed. There had to be transparency there. That was but they've just been bold facedly going against the will of most Americans, that's American tax dollars. And for them to say, oh, the way that the bill was written doesn't include that is, it's ridiculous. It's criminal. It's criminal is what it is. Yeah. Ridiculous, I was willing to tolerate in the first six months of this administration. Now I know it's criminal. It's, it's intentional. It has what's called mens rea, which means the, the mind of a guilty party. Mens rea is a legal standard in the, in the law. So I, I, when I'm, um, when I, another good piece of news I want to talk about. I'm really pleased with what the Supreme Court has done twice in a row now. I think, I believe last week I said that Jerome Powell seems to have gotten some starch in his spine by telling the truth about what's going to be happening to the economy over the next two years, which was really great. He's beginning to break from Trump because he realizes history is not going to view him favorably. 
for what he's done. I think Chief Ju- the Chief Justice has finally woken up to the same point. He's going to look like the Chief Justice. And I said this, member about a year ago. I said, it's, it's like the Dred Scott decision. He's going to look like the Chief Justice. It's called the Taney Court, which is considered the worst Supreme Court in the history of the United States. And I believe Justice Roberts has finally realized he's been on the wrong side of history. So on the case that he just decided on Friday, which basically said that people um, can't be denied their status as DACA recipients because of revoking it. Now, it was an executive order that created DACA. Obama did it. So an executive order could replace it. But what the court said was, you can't just do it for phony reasons or false reasons or make up the reasons after the fact. You've got to go through a process. Did you investigate? Did you ascertain the facts? Did you come to a reasonable conclusion based on those facts? Then yes, then you can eliminate it. But you can't do it with, without any care or concern for appropriate legal procedure to protect the potential recipients of your decision. So congratulations, John Roberts, for joining with the majority of the court uh, on, on that issue. I also want to congratulate Justice Roberts for joining with Justice Gorsuch, uh, because he also came up with um, a decision where uh, they said in the LGDB case about Thursday, I believe, that it is in fact not uh, acceptable under the sex discrimination laws of the United States of America at this time to discriminate against LGBTQ people because of, in effect, their sexual preference. Seems to me like a pretty obvious statement. And frankly, I think a very sound piece of of, of, uh, jurisprudence. So I'm going to congratulate the court and specifically Roberts for getting on the right side of history with that one. And I want to point out, it's not just the LGB population, but also the transgender population, which is recognized by that particular decision. And I think that's the first time that transgender people have had any kind of explicit protection. And that's one of the reasons that makes it so landmark. Yeah, well, that's why it's called the LGBTQ. That's why I refer to it as. Right, exactly. But it's it goes even even further than other recognitions in the past. And I, I just, I'm thinking about uh, Earl Warren, who was appointed, I think, by Eisenhower. And he was supposed to be a conservative justice. And his court was the one that ended up overseeing the repeal of segregation laws in the 50s. And it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch what can happen when the Supreme Court does actually exercise its its proper role in justice for this country. As a third branch of government, yeah. I mean, and as a third branch, a separate branch of government, yeah. yeah. Without a question, Justice Earl Warren, who was the former governor of California, people don't realize, that's how he got to be chief justice. Yes, he, he was appointed as a, what they thought would be a middle-of-the-road justice. He was never viewed as a liberal. The reason why Warren Court will go down in history is probably one of the best courts in the history of the United States is because what Warren did is he, ca- he guided every decision towards what the law and the facts would command. He absolutely didn't play politics with the court, which he's not supposed to. And that's what Roberts has been doing wrong all along. And, and, and by the way, that's what his predecessor did wrong. You don't run the court for the political heat of the moment. You run the court for the next hundred years. Stare decisis is the principal role. Some of you know I'm a constitutional law scholar. And the, the, the stare decisis, which is that which has been decided, is what controls the Anglo-American jurisprudence system since the 1600s. And so you've got to be responsible about what cases you take and what you say, because everything you say really matters. And it sets precedent 
that will then cause some cases not to be brought and others to bubble up. So when you can only take so many cases a year, and it's a tiny fraction of those that are filed, it's the Supreme Court's job to be the independent third arm of the government of equal power and dignity with the executive and the legislature. It can't do that job if it's taking a dive for the executive that appointed it. And I think that there are people on the court today who take a dive on every single case trying to figure out what it is Trump wants. I would put Clarence in that, in that case. Clarence Thomas, that is. I would put... Um, uh, Kavanaugh. <laughs> Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, I think, yeah, it would go in that bucket. I think... So far. Gorsuch does most <laughs> least... of the time. The reason Gorsuch didn't on this case is because Gorsuch likes to put out what he calls a... Uh, um, it's, it's sort of a strict constructionist interpretation of look exactly to the statute. If the word says no sex discrimination, then no matter what sex you are, even if it's a sex we didn't identify at birth, it still means no sex discrimination. So that literal reading of the statute is what got Gorsuch into the game on this particular case. But my point is, the, gov- the, the, the court must, absolutely must, do its job as a third arm of the government. And when it hasn't done it, which is in the Trump years, look at the chaos that ensues. Just as bad as when the Republican Senate has not done its job. Look at the chaos, the death. We are now over 121,000 people dead as I dictate this program, and it's going to 200,000. And I don't see any reason for it to stop there if we don't start being smart and going into Tulsa tonight, which Trump is doing, with six of his staffers already that were there tested positive for coronavirus. God knows how many people are going to come out of that with coronavirus. Lord knows where they're going to go back and spread it to their other friends. And, and we're, 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 we're heating up the pandemic at a moment in time when we should be bringing it under control. And just to contrast that with New Zealand, where they have an incredibly powerful female prime minister who's just, I mean, one massacre, she gets rid of all guns, all automatic weapons within 36 days. And there, are, there were zero cases in New Zealand of COVID until two days ago. Two people showed up, two sisters from Britain. They were identified at the airport as potentially risky. They were brought directly from the airport to a quarantined hotel. They're in quarantine. The second one turned up positive also. They will be in quarantine and under care till they are well. And she's going to go back down to zero cases. Because when you only have two to start with, you can really focus all your power on it. And you can keep it from coming to your borders. Now, they're going to continue to control inbound migration, which they have to, given that the rest of the world is becoming a hotbed, particularly Latin and Central America, Brazil, particularly, but all of the Latin America, Central American countries. And I'm going to come back yeah. to it in a second. Yeah, I think that the epicenter has now moved south to Latin America. And the prime minister of New Zealand is Jacinda Ardern. Yeah. And the things you're talking about there, I think, go into our when oops is not good enough category. You know, yeah. We've been talking about before the show in relation to, yeah. uh, to the Trump administration. So, 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 you know, the idea that, oh, gee, we didn't know just isn't, which is the oops kind of factor. Uh, does not explain the use of a Nazi symbol on Facebook. Uh, and the inverted triangle was used to identify people who were either sympathizers with the Jews in World War II or actually were other characteristics of people who might not have to put the Star of David on, although he's used that also, Trump, in his literature, right. as you know. They were the the political, uh, the communists, the socialists, the political uh, anti Yeah, they were all Nazis. the people that were just not going to ever make it in the Third Reich, mm-hmm. Okay. Right. If you were an intellectual, if you were, by the way, if you were mentally impaired, you could get one of those. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like it was a way for them to, to purify the race is what the triangle was used for. And don't tell me that somebody on his staff, particularly Stephen Miller, who's well immersed in all Nazi symbols. Of course he knew that. 
They thought to get away with it. Of course they knew Tulsa was the scene of the largest black genocide event in the history of the United States. And they picked that to do the reopening. And they picked Juneteenth to do it on. I think they did a smart thing by moving it a day. Doesn't change where they are, which is in Tulsa. So oops is not good enough when you're putting Star of Davids on people. It's not good enough when you're putting inverted triangles. It's not good enough when you make when, when you make common course, as they would say in the 1700s, with Nazis. And by the way, I want to say to all of my Jewish friends listening, I've never met a white supremacist that is not also anti-Semitic. And I think all of us now need to come together, Jews, blacks, browns, yellows, Caucasians, everybody of every conceivable ethnicity, background, coloration, political point of view, and every spiritual point of view. We all have to come together to do what Cory Booker said last night on television. Booker said, in a very eloquent way, which, which, which reveals the man's heart and passion, he said, it's, it's just too much, too far, too long. And I, I can't comment on Mitch McConnell, and I'm not going to comment on what they didn't do. The fact that we put a lynch, an anti-lynching bill up now 200 times in the U.S. Senate, it still hasn't passed because one senator, Rand Paul, claims it could be abused, but can't point to specific language that he wants to remove. He said, you know, that McConnell lets that happen. I, I have no expectation of McConnell. I have no expectation. She, she said, well, what do you think about um, about Trump going to Tulsa? Do you think uh, they'll do that? Because, you know, who knows what he's going to do? The point is, it's wrong. And, 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 and we just all have to heartfully say, you know, this has gone too far. This has just gone too far. And what I think this election's about, because she was asking about uh, Joe Biden, I think this election's about what kind of country do we want to be? You know, it's not even about Trump anymore. What Trump has done is he's found all the leverage points that divide us and masterfully played them like a very sick person. Well, we have to decide. It's, it's now bigger than Trump. It's bigger than McConnell. It's bigger than the Republican Party, which, by the way, last night on Bill Maher, who I don't agree with half the time, Bill Maher did a great interview of George Will, who was the first Republican conservative who jumped off the bandwagon on Trump and who's done a new book on Trump, that, a new article, which is brilliant. And in, it, uh, in the interview, he asked Will, he said, um, so you, I understand you're going to support Biden like you supported Hillary last time. He said, absolutely. And he said, why? He said, because the Republican Party has to be punished or it will never come back. It has to be punished or it won't come back for what these people have done as an enablers. So he, he, he basically was echoing um, Biden's campaign theme. This is about the soul of America. And you see Cory Booker talked about it. I think that Biden will use that effectively, but I think really that's what's going on. It's about us. And that 41% of us can give this guy applause for anything is a frightening statistic, even if only 15 or 20% are really culties. And frankly, ladies and gentlemen, I am not willing to live in the country that Trump wants to run as his monarchy. I'm just not willing to be subject to that despot. We have to reclaim this country. This is no longer even about Trump in this upcoming election. This is what country do we want to be? Therefore, I will do everything in my power and am right now to prevent that despot from retaining control of the levers of government, however he attempts to do it. And I hope that the, that the country has woken up the fact that he's killing us literally with the way he's handling the pandemic. He's bankrupting us with the way he's handling the economy. And he's destroying our political integrity with the way he's hollowing out every institution, as with William Barr and Stephen Miller as his enablers, uh, as, as well as a, as a cabinet that keeps changing and 
you know, once they get fired, like Bolton, and they leave, they tell the truth. Where were they telling the truth when they should have? Anyway. All right. And on that happy note, Ronaldo, what's our next topic? No, no, I have, I have a happy note. Happy note. I'm happy that Governor Newsom made it mandatory to wear masks in California because <laughs> California is having a spike again. And it's having it in L.A. very close to where we're dictating this. In fact, yeah. as some of you know, I- Santa Barbara is experiencing the highest infection rate since the crisis started now. Why? Because all those people in L.A. who are traveling up here on the weekends are bringing their COVID virus with them. And now it's infecting here. And so just like Santa Maria got infected because of the prison, we're getting infected because of weekend travelers and day trip. Yeah. And I want to look at that. I was looking at the numbers this morning, and a lot of the infections are actually in our the areas where we have agriculture also. So the, it's the farm workers who are starting to be infected. Yeah. It's the food processing workers. It's those counties which are, are ha- having much higher rates in addition to other Southern California areas like Los Angeles, which is yeah. the most numbers of cases. And by the way, um, right now. Uh, the worst country after the U.S. is Russia and Brazil. Brazil is going to pass Russia because Russia's numbers are not fair. But I think that you got the same situation in both. Although I think Russia is more capable than Bolsonaro in, in, uh, Bolsonaro in, in, in Brazil. Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro. I, I do believe, however, you're underestimating the death count in sub particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, but in Africa generally, because um, 64 countries in Africa spent more money servicing external debt than they did on health care, leaving them totally unprepared for the current pandemic. And it means that the other things that they, which have now stopped, vaccinations for diphtheria, typhoid, uh, smallpox, measles, all those vac- mumps, all those vaccinations are being put on hold, which means that Africa is going to have a massive outbreak of health crises. You're going to see tens of millions of dead people between Africa and Latin America, if we're lucky. And I think that's that's one of the most frightening parts of this whole public health crisis failure. I was listening to a podcast this morning or a story about polio, which was a, a terrible killer in the 50s. And it was only through vaccinating the entire world that we are able to really bring that down. But if, vac- if vaccinations go away, there's going to be millions more people dying and millions more children dying. I also saw another story about cancer. Uh, they expect another extra 10,000 cases of cancer uh, to end in uh, death this year because of the coronavirus and the failure to get the proper medical care for that. Uh, this is a crisis which we don't even know the end of yet. We have this pandemic wrapped in a depression, wrapped in climate change crisis. I mean, it's the it's the perfect storm. And, and civil unrest. Well, and civil unrest civil. is... The, no, that's the result of those three. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So, so that civil unrest is going to accelerate. I mean, we know what it looks like when a nation state collapses. Look at Yemen. Look at Libya. Look at uh, Mali. Look at... Look at Lebanon. Look at Lebanon. And I mean, it, it, it's insane that people don't realize that you can't do let this happen. This is why global leadership by the United States since World War II has been so important. This stuff gets out of control over there, quote unquote. It's going to land here one way or t'other. And we don't realize that. So we're being extremely short-sighted. I also want to congratulate another thing for California that has basically now outlawed private prisons. Uh, and no contracts can be given to private prisons from here on out. And all that are existing uh, when they come up for renewal between now and I think the last one comes up at most in four or five years, that's going to not be renewed and hopefully get closed be so- be sooner than that. Other states which have done something similar, which I'm very proud of, are places like uh, New York has done it, Illinois, Nevada, all have similar bans, even though some states have no prisons of their own. 
which I think is the right thing, is to stop this prison industry, which is causing the distortion of who gets put in jail and why, for private profit. That's what the prison system is. Okay, I also want to congratulate... Um, um, Before you go there, why don't we just talk a little bit about the global signposts? Okay, so under the heading of global signposts, I want to congratulate the president of Honduras. Uh, I think that what they have done is absolutely fabulous. Honduras, the president, literally was willing to catch COVID virus so he could go on air and say to people, look, I got it. It's that easy. If I can get it, his name is Juan Orlando Hernandez. And his wife and two aides have all caught COVID-19. But he used the opportunity to beg the country to social distance. He said he could not because of his job, that he essentially was willing to do his job, even if it meant contacting the virus. And he wanted to be the example for how they should avoid it. Congratulations. Good on you, President Hernandez. Um, I want to talk about China and India as part of Global Signposts. Because the last time they clashed physically... um, uh, with weapons was actually 1975. There was a clash a couple of weeks ago where they used baseball bats and some other things and nobody got killed. And we even commented on this show, hey, congratulations. Well, this time 21 people did get killed. And the reason is the Chinese put nails in their baseball bat so they would become deadly weapons even though they were not allowed to fire them. That's a global signpost. That level of tension between two countries that are nuclear armed is an enormous challenge to international order, and we should be thinking about it. And both those countries are sitting on a time bomb called they're about to run out of fresh water in the next 10 years, 10 to 15. Oh, that's an interesting observation, Ronaldo. I haven't heard anybody mention the fact that there's there actually, there's the water, the fresh water resources are par- perhaps part of what the tension is about. No, I don't think it is. I think I think the tension is completely on different issues. I think, and then we can talk about xenophobia is at the heart of both of them. But no, I think that the, both countries are trying to prove that they're tough. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that Modi in India is trying to prove that he can stand up to the Chinese, which he can't. If they wanted to roll him, they could. And the Chinese are trying to prove he don't. Nobody. Can, they're slapping around saying, "Hey, you're not next door neighbor. Don't get out of line here." Because we, we. And they're still mad that he's got the Dalai Lama. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a yeah. lot of reasons China's upset. But China being upset, they're always going to be upset. They're on world. Their goal is world domination. So of course, anybody who stands up to him, which is the largest democracy in the world, India, they're going to be upset about it. But um, I think that the, we, we should be taking into account the fact that these two countries are skirmishing because we are not providing global leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another signpost I want to talk about, and then I'm going to come back and end on the U.S. economy. Another global signpost is about um, how Brexit, which is still pending, very much pending, has affected Britain. And even though it's currently in this terrible throes of economic uh, malaise, uh, Britain's public spending was nine times higher this month than it was the same time last month, 900% up, okay, 20, over 2019. Public debt has jumped 20% in the last three months. And Britain hasn't got the dollar as its backstop for a global currency. So the pressure they're putting on the pound is enormous and it will come back to haunt them. And they're doing it precisely at the time where Brexit is hanging over their head like the sword of Damocles. As I said last week, if you're smart, Mr. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, take the extra two years and get this thing handled. Because if you do Brexit pandemic and this level of spending all at once, there is no helping you in the United Kingdom. And I'd like to because I hate to see you have the kind of problem you're going to have. And it seems like the British people themselves are feeling that strain. The confidence index has slipped by 20% in the last few months. Yeah. Um, So they are starting to be aware of, of the hot water they're in. Yeah. 
and, and, and then I'm going to do the last um, global signpost is Canada. Um, now I will disclose with all fair disclosure, I am a Canadian. I, I hold dual citizenship. I was born in Canada. Uh, but I'm really proud of Canada for a lot of reasons. First of all, they've handled the pandemic much better than the U.S. Their death per capita is far lower than the U.S. And the pandemic is coming under control. Uh, in addition, they just they agreed already, which I believe the U.S. will agree by the end of July. I just think that McConnell's dragging his feet and causing people to be concerned. They're going to have to pop another trillion or two out before this is over, and certainly before the election. And uh, what the Emergency Response Benefit Program in Canada did is it extended their Canadians to $500 per week for another three months. No, excuse me, it's been in place for three months, and they're extending it for another eight weeks. I think that's about right. And I think that the reason why it won't be necessary to do it again in eight weeks I think Canada is going to find itself closing more and more of its border traffic with the U.S., continuing to build its economy beyond the U.S., continuing to move away from oil because they can't sell it at the prices coming out of the tar sands anyway. So it's really forcing the government of Canada to stop its old trade-offs, which was make Alberta happy, build a pipeline, uh, take unbelievable amounts of money and pour it into tar sands, which is not even economic, and now Trudeau's got the ammunition he needs to say, you know what, we better focus on what's important. How do we keep Canadians healthy? And how do we start getting an independent economy, which doesn't, every time the United States gets, makes us, has a sneeze, Canada catches a cold, so the expression goes. He's trying to move away from that. And I think that's a very good thing. And that's my last global signpost. Okay, I know we got to wrap, so let me do this. Um, Diane, we, we wrote you back. I, I wrote you a very long personal email back to in direct response to the inquiry you made. And the question was, what do 60s people like me who got creamed last time in 2008, what do we do to get up off the floor when we're about to get hit again? Um, and I wanted to say that I think what we're all going to have to do is to emulate some of the things we learned in, in, in between 1929 and 1936. And that is uh, we're going to have to stand on our own. The conventional structures which would hope to employ you when you're 60 or more aren't going to be there. You know that. It's going to be very hard to do anything but flip burgers, and even that will be questionable because some burger joints are closing. But I think that what you can do is you're going to have to find a way to do small-scale, uh, Grameen America-type activities. Um, the country, the United States, is no longer the leading industrial power in the world. It's, uh, it's, it's scrambling for survival right now. So what you need to do is find your niche. Uh, can you make little dresses uh, on a sewing machine and sell them at a local marketplace? Uh, can, you, can you grow vegetables like a victory garden and sell it in your local farmer's market? Uh, can you get on Etsy with some product that you've designed and made that's you know, handmade and use that as a way to generate? In other words, take what you know. Take your skill, take your, your willingness to work, take your enthusiasm, and find some way to monetize it, even if it's only a fraction of what you were worth in the monetary economy, and go start taking care of yourself. I'm not a big fan, generally speaking, of multi-level marketing. I'm pretty much against it because most of those programs are abusive. But if you can find a good one, and I'll be more than happy to recommend one if you want, but if you can find a good one, then you can go into the business of telling your friends why you use the products of a particular company, and you can make a very nice amount of money doing that. But if you if you know how to sew a dress, if you know how to, uh, if, if you're a, a male and you know, I, I just ran, okay, I got in with this story, no, well, two thoughts. One, this story. The man who came to fix my faucet yesterday at my house, wearing his mask, is a young man who is out of work, like a lot of young men are, but he's really ambitious, and he's hardworking. And so when we asked him point blank, See, Chris, do you really want to be a handyman the rest of your life? He goes, oh, no, I'm just doing this. I got to pay the rent. 
the man who brought my groceries in yesterday is actually a full-time electrician, but he's out of work, so he's delivering for Instacart. Okay, so I'm. I don't know which part of the gig economy you might be able to fit into because it's having a lot of strain. I don't know which part of the go make something you can make and sell it or offer some service that you can provide that's unique to you. But whatever that is, you're going to have to stand on your own two feet pretty much. Um, I'm happy to talk more on this subject. If people write me questions, I will deal with it in more detail. But most importantly, do not put your money at risk because you will need it. Get it out of the stock market if you haven't done it already. Do not have a 401k there. Put it into gold. We've already told you State Street has a great fund that you can put it into with only 0.8% load factor. So there's lots of things you can do to protect yourself. And every single step you take to protect yourself will make it that much more likely that when this is over, you'll still be left standing because a lot of people won't be. And last but not least on that point, Right now, the refinancing market on homes is far stronger than the original home mortgage loan market, which is about 65% of all mortgages right now are refinances. We're at a very all-time low interest rate, and I think that what we should do is I think we should absolutely, if you are in a position where you can refinance to get your monthly rate down, extend the term, and lock in these low rates for the next 30 years, do it. If you can do it, do it. Now's the time. Ronaldo, I have a question about that. If you have a home loan, and this is just a, a sort of a idiot question, perhaps, but if you are a homeowner and you have a home loan and you've lost your job, is it possible to even refinance at this point when you actually don't have <laughs> Great in- income that's verifiable? Great question. Short answer, no, unless you qualify for reverse mortgage, which means that you're 65 and you actually can qualify for reverse mortgage with no assets other than your home because the principal asset they're borrowing against is the home itself. And the beauty of a reverse mortgage is you aren't ever going to pay it because the only way it gets paid is if you sell the house, in which case you took the profit, or you die, in which case your heirs pay for the, dis- the difference between what you it's worth and what you borrowed. I think your bigger problem right now is going to be getting a decent uh, appraisal. But if you are qualify for a reverse mortgage, now's your time. If you've lost your job, no, you, you're going to you have to qualify for a mortgage. But remember, even with um, right now, we're probably at about very close to twenty percent unemployment. That means eighty percent of people are employed. So I'm talking to those people right now, and 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 even the letter we got from Diane, she currently is employed, and her husband's currently employed. So she, if she had a home, which she doesn't, that's why she wrote me. She would be a person who could qualify. Um, and I'm not suggesting she should go out and buy one because, frankly, that would be a financial burden on her at a time when the economy is going sideways and down. But if you already have a home and you're paying X dollars a month and you can reduce that by 10 to 20 percent by taking advantage of these artificially low interest rates, do it. It's in your interest. And with that, I want to thank everybody for their patience. I think we're a few minutes over, but it's, it was worth it. And I really, really am enjoying um, this conversation. I hope I'll have a chance to get into dialogue with you. With that, thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.